Mark Twain, Marilyn Monroe, Bruno Mars, Drake, Rihanna, Dr. Seuss, Lemony Snicket, Whoopi Goldberg, John Legend, and Lady Gaga. What do they all have in common? Well, they are all pen names or stage names, and the creatives behind them actually have a lot more normal sounding names. Sometimes these fake names are used because they sound more catchy and appealing and are more memorable than their real names, like Bruno Mars. That's a lot easier to remember and market than his birth name, Peter Hernandez. Sometimes they are used to create a divide between one's professional and personal life, like Lady Gaga. She has stressed in past interviews that Gaga is her stage persona who she has to tap into, almost like playing a character. But other times, the reason that some performers and artists have had to use invented names is sadly because of sexism. Women have been at a disadvantage for centuries now, and they have fought hard to receive the same benefits that men have enjoyed since the beginning of time, and this is a fight that is far from over, unfortunately. And this is evident through the many women creatives of the past who could only be published by using a man's name like Mary Ann Evans, who wrote under the name George Eliot, or felt that they would only have success by making their name more masculine sounding, like Joanne Rowling, who marketed herself as J.K. Rowling. Sadly, the list goes on and on, and more famous male writers from the past are being discovered as women hiding behind their names. Well, one name in particular that skeptics are taking a closer look at is none other than William Shakespeare. And there is some strong evidence that suggests that the playwright that we know for having written the most famous plays in history might have actually been a woman using his name. Crackpops, are you in? Let's crack the case. Welcome back to Crack Pop. My name is Jacob Granado, a pop culture obsessor, enthusiast, and commentator. Each episode, I will take you along with me through all of my research as I attempt to crack pop cultures and humankind's darkest mysteries, 
conspiracies, and secrets. Today, we are following the conspiracy theory that William Shakespeare isn't the true author of his classic plays. Hey everybody, before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to remind you guys or announce to you for the first time if you don't follow us on Instagram that our merch launch is live. You can find the link to the shop in our Instagram bio, or you can click on the link that I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode. Or if you just want to type it in, it's bonfire.com slash store slash crack pop. I had purchased like different t-shirts from fundraisers before using this website. And let me tell you, Everything is so comfortable and true to size and just so well printed. I couldn't have asked for a better hosting site for my merchandise store. I have included a few different designs and you can find them and purchase them on t-shirts and crew neck sweaters and hoodies and hats and beanies and dog shirts. And there's a mug and then there's some tote bags like everything is cute. So thank you to everybody who has already supported Crackpop by buying a piece of our merch. I have purposely kept the prices super affordable for you guys so that you could enjoy having a piece or two of the merch. But don't worry if it still seems a little bit too pricey for you because there will be an announcement for a giveaway coming sometime later this week and you'll get a chance to score anything that you'd like from the store. And again, the announcement will be on our Instagram at Crackpop Network. Stay tuned for that, and let's move on to the episode. What do you really know about William Shakespeare? To most of the world, he is remembered as history's greatest and most famous playwrights. His devoted readers and admirers know the ins and the outs of every single one of his plays, and they can offer you endless references and even quote some of his plays. And you can probably recognize some of his most famous quotes, like... To be... Or not to be? That is the question. Or... Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? And my favorite... What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. But, on the other hand... To many of us, Shakespeare, while he definitely might be the greatest playwright who has ever existed, was just another hurdle for us to get over in our high school English class or in our college English classes. And while I'm sure that many of us can appreciate and respect the place that he holds in history, the texts feel 
outdated to us. And so the material is often difficult to consume without taking like an extensive course on iambic pentameter, which is how he writes his plays. But we all have at least the image of Shakespeare in our heads when we think of him. We can all name at least one or two of his most famous works, even if it's just Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet. But what you may not know is that there is an entire group of people who believe that William Shakespeare didn't actually write his famous plays. Before we get into all of that craziness, I want to give you just a mini history lesson on William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare was born sometime in April of 1564 in the town of Stratford-upon-Avon in England. His father was a glove maker, and while there's no definitive proof, it is believed that both of Shakespeare's parents were actually illiterate. However, it has been suggested by historians that Shakespeare didn't follow their example, and he attended a public grammar school in Stratford, just a quarter mile away from his home. Though, again, no attendance records prove this, so it's just speculation. And while not much is known about his private life either, it is documented that Shakespeare married a 26-year-old named Anne Hathaway, yes, like the actress, when he was just 18 years old. Get it, Willie? Just a few months after their wedding, the couple had their first child, a girl named Susanna. And then shortly after, in 1585, Anne gave birth to twins, one boy and one girl, which they named Hamnet and Judith. Sadly, Hamnet passed away at 11 years old, and nobody really knows why. But from this point on, when his last two children were born, Hamnet and Judith, until the year 1592, when William Shakespeare took to acting, not much is known about the happenings of Shakespeare's life. He was kind of MIA, and historians refer to this time in his life as the lost years. But he did begin writing and acting in his own plays around the 1590s, but he was pretty harshly criticized at first. He helped form a theater troupe known as Lord Chamberlain's Men, which only put on Shakespeare's plays, built their own public theater, The Globe, and then Lord Chamberlain's Men went on to become London's leading playing company, and they even got upgraded to the name The Kingsmen. And yes, the acting troops at this time, as I'm sure that you already know, were only made up of men, and the younger men and the boys who hadn't hit puberty yet were the ones cast in the female roles of Shakespeare's plays, and there's a lot of female roles in his plays. If you transported me right now back in time to the 1590s and I was an actor in a Shakespeare play, you know my ass would be a woman <laughs> in his play. And you know what? I'm going to own that, okay? 
the range. Shakespeare went on to write over 150 poems and a total of 38 plays in his lifetime. His plays are often divided into three main categories, histories like Henry V, comedies like A Midsummer Night's Dream, and tragedies such as Romeo and Juliet, Othello, and Hamlet. Here's another fun fact for you. Shakespeare even invented and introduced more than 400 new words into the English language that we still use all the time. And I find this so fascinating. So I'm going to just quickly list off a bunch of them. William Shakespeare came up with the words accessible, admiration, bedroom, cheap, critical, dawn, embrace, employment, engagement, fashionable, generous, invitation, lonely, majestic, neglect, outbreak, retirement, skim milk, successful, traditional, tranquil, and useful and useless. That's not even close to all of them, but that's a huge accomplishment in and of itself. Round of applause. Sadly, though, Shakespeare passed away at his home in Stratford-upon-Avon in 1616 at just 52 years old, just under a year after signing his will, which we will definitely come back to. But strangely, nobody knows the exact cause of his death. I know. It's been speculated that he died of a fever, possibly brought on by alcoholism or syphilis, but some even suggest that he was murdered. And I'm not going down that rabbit hole, not for this episode. However he died, Shakespeare was buried in his hometown where he remains today. And if you were to visit his grave, you could read the last poem that he ever wrote inscribed on his tombstone. Good friend, for Jesus' sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. I'm stealing that. Were people so scared of, like, grave robbers when they died that they had to leave, like, ominous warnings like that? I didn't even think about that until recording this, to be honest. (laughs) Anyway, it is undeniable that the man, the actor, William Shakespeare, existed. He did exist. He was born in Stratford-upon-Avon, and he did die in that town. The few records that exist tell us at least that much. So then, if Shakespeare was indeed a real man, why do so many believe to this day that he isn't the real author of all of the plays that have supposedly been written by him? Well, there are many reasons that these so-called anti-Stratfordians 
believe Shakespeare's plays were written by somebody else, possibly another playwright, possibly by a woman, or even an entire group of people who paid him off and hid behind his name. And they insist that this modest man from a modest background could not have become the world's most renowned writer of all time. And I kind of believe them. So here we go. Let's get into the proposed evidence that anti-Stratfordians have put forth suggesting that Shakespeare couldn't have written his plays. Number one, his many signatures. According to historians, there are only six documents in existence that are confirmed to have been signed by William Shakespeare. Just six. And guess what? None of them are his poems or his plays. In fact, no play or manuscript has ever been discovered that was written in Shakespeare's own handwriting. And it's not like he was typing them up. (laughs) And when you compare these six authenticated signatures taken from legal documents like the purchase of his home and from his will, you might notice that A, they are very sloppy, almost illegible actually, and B, his name is spelled differently in each one. For example, one of these is literally spelled just W-I-L-L-M-S-H-A-K-P. That's his whole name. Wilmshakp. <laughs> Two of them emphasize the second to the last E in Shakespeare with an accent over the E that comes after P. So Shakespeare. Not Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I did read that this style of writing was called secretary hand and basically they just abbreviated letters and it was a common way to save time, I guess. But that's not even the part that gets me. What gets me is that even in his will, this one document on three different pages, he spells his own last name two different ways. The first two times his signature appears, it's S-H-A-K-S-P-E-R-E. And on the last, it's S-H-A-K-S-P-E-A-R-E with an A that's missing from the first two. I'll post the pictures of his signature on the website so that you can read them for yourself. It's probably easier to do that than to just hear me spell them out. But the spelling of his name was even questioned when he was alive. And different publications spelled his name in different ways. And it wasn't even officially recognized as the way that we know and spell it today until the 19th century. But it was his own name. Like, couldn't he have picked a spelling and stuck with it? Especially on his will where he wrote his own name three times. Like, what were you doing? It just doesn't make sense to me. 
Number two, his lack of a formal education. Because his own parents were known to be illiterate, and with no definitive proof linking him to attending any public school or college, many believe that Shakespeare didn't have the formal training that he needed to become the greatest writer of all time. Again, just because no records from his grammar school survived the time, some still argue that he did likely learn by studying Latin texts in that public grammar school in his hometown. The records just didn't make it to 2021. What's interesting though, is that there are still public records that did survive from the two English universities at the time, and Shakespeare didn't attend either one. So did he really learn everything that he needed to know, everything that is on display in his plays from his childhood grammar school? Anti-Stratfordians find that doubtful. They suggest that these Shakespeare plays had to be written by somebody with deep, extensive knowledge of subjects like law, philosophy, classical literature, ancient and modern history, mathematics, astronomy, art, music, medicine, horticulture, and the military. And many of his stories were based on some ancient and some modern stories that were written in Latin, Greek, French, Italian, and Spanish and they hadn't even been translated into English until long after Shakespeare died. So was he just somehow fluent in six languages? How did he obtain the knowledge from those works without speaking the language? This remains one of the biggest mysteries surrounding Shakespeare today, and anti-Stratfordians believe that the answer is quite simple, that he never did obtain that knowledge, and someone who was more studied than he was, was responsible for all of his works. Number three, his lack of experience. Another mystery surrounding Shakespeare is how he, an average man of the average class in an average town, was able to perfectly capture all of the intimate details and secrets about the noble class. Almost all of Shakespeare's plays, 36 of the 38, are set among the upper class, which at the time, with the class system in place, were kept completely separate from the lower classes. His plays contain metaphors and descriptions of activities that only aristocrats at the time could enjoy, which included falconry, lawn bowling, tennis, and archery. And his plays explore in great and accurate detail the etiquette and mannerisms of the upper class, not only in England, but also the French 
and Italian nobles as well. And scholars have found no record of Shakespeare having traveled to those places for any amount of time. Many will argue that his vast imagination is responsible for his depictions of the noble class. It's just how he imagined them. But it doesn't account for how accurately he portrayed them. Writer and researcher Diana Prince wrote about this in her book titled Shakespeare's Unorthodox Biography and argues that, quote, to link any writer conclusively to the plays, we would certainly have to be able to support how he gained his exposure to the lifestyle of the rich and famous, how he had access to the courts. And I don't mean as a servant in the courts, but someone who actually was in there when the power playing was going on. And we cannot support any of that for Shakespeare. Number four, his will. Shakespeare's final will makes no mention at all about his poems or his plays. Both the published ones and the 18 that were still yet to be published. He never mentions his career as a writer, which seems off to many. The will mentions nothing about any books or manuscripts that he may have had, even though he makes sure to include his plate, jewels, and quote, other household stuff. This will was signed by him with two different spellings of his name, and then many also find it strange that Shakespeare, the greatest poet to have ever lived, wrote his will in normal, plain, boring language. I mean, even his tombstone was poetic, but I guess it was a legal document, and because maybe the man knew he was sick or dying, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe it makes sense that he wouldn't want to be romantic or extra about it. But one other strange thing about his will is that the only mention at all of his wife anywhere in the will is at the very, very bottom of it. Almost like an afterthought, before he signs it, he writes, Item I give unto my wife, my second best bed. His second best bed. Not even his first. Um, shade? Historians believe, though, that it wasn't actually intended to be shady. Apparently, the second best bed comment was meant to be a nice gesture. I don't get it, though. Nothing that I've read about it has been able to convince me otherwise. He mentions his daughters many times throughout his will, leaving detailed sums of money to each of them. And then it's just like, oh shit, my wife, yeah, uh, mm, oh, the, the second best bet, I guess. <laughs> Nothing about this will suggests that the man that we know as William Shakespeare was responsible for any single piece of literature, let alone 
greatest body of work the world has ever known. And lastly, number five, his missing work. Again, no body of work, no manuscript, not even a quickly scribbled outline of a play exists anywhere in Shakespeare's own handwriting. And you'd think that there would be something. Even if there wasn't a full script anywhere in his own handwriting, like, you can't even find a note or two in his own house? I know times are different, but how many samples of your handwriting are in your house right now? Probably, if you're like me, a lot. The only handwriting samples that we have of William Shakespeare are from his legal documents and the six messy and all very different signatures of his name. And because Shakespeare was known to have split his time between London and his hometown of Stratford, it's natural to assume that there would have been some correspondence back and forth or letters sent by him to his family back home. But in fact, none were ever recovered despite biographers' desperate attempts to track them down. This respected scholar named James Wimott was one of the first anti-Stratfordians who set out to find details from Shakespeare's personal life, and after allegedly visiting every single house and every single library within 50 miles of Shakespeare's home, he returned empty-handed. Without even a scribble of his handwriting on any of the Bibles or papers that were found in his home, leading Wilmot to conclude that the man that we believe is responsible for the most studied plays in existence, quote, had actually never read a book in his lifetime nor wrote any letter. So, if that is all enough reasonable doubt for you, as it kind of is for me, to believe that this modest man known as William Shakespeare didn't actually write the many works that are credited to him, the next logical question that follows is who did? Although there are roughly 80 different individuals that anti-Stratfordians have considered to be the real Shakespeare, there are only a few that have me convinced, or at least questioning, if he really is the true author of his collection of works. And let me introduce them to you. Candidate number one, Sir Francis Bacon. This was actually the very first person ever introduced as the real author behind Shakespeare's work. Sir Francis Bacon was a contemporary of Shakespeare, most famous for being a philosopher and scientist who helped discover the scientific method. 
His status helped him to become a member of the Tudor court, and he even earned the title Lord Chancellor, which gave him the kind of inside knowledge and expertise needed to write about the royals in the many plays by Shakespeare. The story goes that Bacon's true passion was writing plays. So he did so and published them under the pseudonym William Shakespeare to keep his identity a secret, in part because it was largely looked down upon around this time to be a performer or creative of any kind, but also because he was exposing secrets of the nobility that he was a part of. Some who believe that Bacon is the true author point to the intricate legal and philosophical details of Shakespeare's plays, areas that Bacon excelled in, and areas which the man from Stratford would have had little access to. And some even suggest that Bacon sprinkled little clues in the plays that when deciphered revealed that he was the real author. For example, in the play Love Labors Lost, the script included this Latin word. Honorific abilitudinitatibus. I don't know if Miss Girl is pronouncing it right. Um, I wasn't going to try to do it though. It's a long word. It's going to be on our website. You can look at it there. And if you arrange or rearrange the letters, it's supposedly an anagram for a Latin phrase which reportedly translates to These plays, the offspring of F. Bacon, are preserved for the world. I would take that with a grain of salt though, because if it sounds like it's too good to be true, maybe it is. Candidate number two, Christopher Marlowe. Another popular name thrown around by anti-Stratfordians is the poet and playwright Christopher Marlowe. Marlowe had been a contemporary of Shakespeare's and is mostly remembered today for his play Dr. Faustus. He seemed to greatly influence Shakespeare's own plays, but was it just influence, or was it actually because they are all by the same author? The official story goes that Marlowe was killed in May of 1593 by a dinner guest who stabbed him in the eye. But some scholars actually think that Marlowe faked his death in order to escape being tried and convicted of being an atheist for the subject matter of some of his plays. But what's odd is that just 13 days after Marlowe's supposed death, the first mention, the first publication anywhere in history that names Shakespeare was released. 13 days later. And from that day on, William Shakespeare, or the man hiding behind that name, would go on to produce the remainder of his classics. That just seems like a crazy coincidence to me, and the perfect opportunity to just keep on writing if 
he really were hiding out from the law. But even weirder than that, there is an undeniable similarity in the writing styles of Marlowe and Shakespeare. One of the most obvious examples of this, which proves that they might be by the same man, are the following passages. Taken from Marlowe's The Jew of Malta. But stay, what star shines yonder in the east? The lodestar of my life, if Abigail. Compare that to Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Clearly, I am not a trained Shakespeare actor, or a trained actor of any kind. But if you actually look at the words, the lines, they are almost identical. And by the way, these are both spoken in the plays by young male characters who are speaking about their lovers who are both standing above them on balconies. But even with the similarities, some suggest that Shakespeare had just been plagiarizing Marlowe's play. Still, historians unanimously agree that Marlowe was a huge influence on Shakespeare's plays and is by a long shot the most obvious and most referenced of all of his inspirations. But again, is it just because they are the same person? Candidate number three, one of these two women, Mary Sidney Herbert or Amelia Bassano. So you do not need a history lesson from me to tell you that women have not always enjoyed the same rights and privileges as their male counterparts. And in Jacobian England, the period when Shakespeare was writing his or her plays, it was no different. Women were not permitted to write plays for the public theater or even act in them. But despite this, Shakespeare's plays are full of strong convention-breaking female lead characters. And it is argued that Shakespeare writes with the delicate lyricism that only a woman could bring to the pages. I guess. And some anti-Stratfordians consider two different women to be behind Shakespeare's plays. First is the Countess of Pembroke, Mary Sidney Herbert. Mary had been a very successful writer of her time. She received an advanced classical education and often was described as being the most educated woman of her time, second only to Queen Elizabeth I, whom Mary actually spent much of her life learning from as she was a member of the Queen's court. 
which would have easily provided her with the knowledge of the nobility and the politics needed to write Shakespeare's characters. But she's also known to have written several acclaimed religious works herself and some closet dramas, which essentially were just plays that had to be put on in private because women, again, weren't permitted to participate in the public theater. She even ran a literary salon, which from what I gathered was kind of like a book club, but for the exchange of grand knowledge and concepts. And she even helped fund the very first performances ever of Shakespeare's plays. And Shakespeare's first folio, which was the first published collection of his works containing 36 of his plays, was actually dedicated to Mary's two sons, who up until that dedication in his publication, had not been linked to Shakespeare in any way. Perhaps the real author, Mary Sidney Herberts, was just tired of hiding. The other female candidate who has rose in popularity more recently is Emilia Bassano. Bassano was born in London as the daughter of two Venetian merchants, and she grew up to become one of the very first women in English history to publish a volume of her poetry. Poetry, which some suggest resembles the lines in Shakespeare's pieces. But beyond the similarities in their writing style, Many believe the material of Shakespeare's plays mirror Bassano's real life. For example, many of Shakespeare's plays are actually set in Italy and, well, Bassano and her parents are Italian. Bassano was also a converted Jew and The Jewish characters included in Shakespeare's plays were portrayed more fairly and positively when compared to other playwrights of his time. And although her name, Emilia, wasn't very common during the time, it shows up repeatedly in Shakespeare's plays, as does her last name. Craziest of all, many historians suggest she might have actually been Shakespeare's mysterious mistress, which kind of gives her something to blackmail him on if she wanted to use his name. I don't know. So I actually am thoroughly convinced that it could have been one of these two women. It just makes the most sense to me. And really, I mean, they had the biggest motive for hiding behind a man's name. The fact that they were women and they weren't allowed to share their gifts with the world. But whether or not one of these women was actually behind Shakespeare's works, they should be celebrated as they both have remarkable stories of their own and they paved the way for generations of female creatives. But finally, and by far the most popular of all, 
is candidate number four, Edward Devere. The 17th Earl of Oxford, Edward de Vere grew up as a highly educated and well-traveled individual, having visited many of the exact settings that Shakespeare's plays took place in. De Vere's wealth and status placed him among the highest noble figures of his time, granting him the access to the noble courts which Shakespeare famously portrayed in accurate detail. He was not only a patron of the arts, but also a dramatist and published poet himself. But strangely, he stopped publishing poetry under his name almost as soon as the name William Shakespeare started making its appearance in its first publications. Many believe that De Vere possibly started hiding behind and using the pseudonym William Shakespeare in order to avoid criticism and also to protect his identity as many of the plays condemned the political figures that he was so well acquainted with. And then it's also been said that De Vere was fluent in four foreign languages, Latin, Greek, Italian, and French. And he kind of favored Italy over many of the countries that he had traveled to, which kind of fits right in line with the fact that 14 of Shakespeare's plays take place there. And De Vere had a lifelong interest and fascination with ancient history, which made him suited to write Shakespeare's dramas and histories like Julius Caesar and Antony and Cleopatra. This guy could not possibly check off more of the boxes, right? Traveled, educated, wealthy, poetic, a member of the court, fluent in five languages, but there is one major downfall to this theory, and it's kind of a big one. De Vere died in 1604, and history tells us that about 12 of Shakespeare's plays were published after De Vere's death in 1604. You will literally see that fact thrown out everywhere online that is kind of like the definitive proof that De Vere could not have been Shakespeare. But is it possible that they were already written before 1604 and then just found and published years after De Vere died? We might never know the answer to that or to the bigger question in general. Who really wrote the greatest body of literature the world has ever produced. So, what do you guys think? Are you having some doubts? Here's my take on what I think is really going down behind the Shakespeare authorship debate. 
I think there are two possibilities here. Either the actor from Stratford is truly the author of his famous plays, or somebody else is. Scenario 1. William Shakespeare, with his modest background, really did write all of his plays. The biggest criticism out there about this whole conspiracy theory is that at its core, it's pretty classist, meaning that it's a bit prejudiced and backwards for the basis of your argument to be that a man without a university education couldn't have been responsible for writing these masterpieces. Something I didn't tell you earlier is that Shakespeare's plays are filled with errors about many of the countries like Italy that he had never been to. Errors about the geography of these countries that any man or woman who had visited them wouldn't have made. So it's likely that Shakespeare did use his vivid imagination to paint pictures of these places, even if they were very, very wrong. Also, it's believed that Shakespeare didn't have to have some grand education or travel experience to write his plays because he copied other playwrights. Yes, William Shakespeare openly borrowed from many of the plays that came before him, so that would explain how his and Marlowe's passages read almost identical, and how he was able to grasp the knowledge of concepts like philosophy and law. He wasn't well studied in these areas, he was just well read. And there were no copyright laws at the time, so playwrights, poets, and dramatists, even musicians, were known to have copied or recreated content that existed before them. And then, with all of the missing records, we're talking, this is over 400 years ago, and that's the reason that we probably don't have any samples or paper trail of his handwriting other than from his legal documents. They just simply didn't survive, or they just got lost in those 400 years. And lastly, the most definitive proof linking Shakespeare to his plays is his actual name on the published versions of them throughout his lifetime. Not only was his name on the title pages of the poems and the plays that he wrote, but he was also referred to more than 20 times in other surviving documents from the time. His contemporaries, like the poet Ben Jonson, who, by the way, came from even more humble beginnings than Shakespeare did, and nobody's questioning him, talked and wrote openly about Shakespeare, never once bringing up the issue of whether or not he was the real writer of his plays. So, if his contemporaries didn't question his authorship while he was alive, why are we still talking about it now? Are we in the wrong? Or were they just not seeing the whole picture? Scenario 2 Another candidate, someone with more experience and a better education, 
had to have written Shakespeare's classics. Clearly, there are a lot of holes in Shakespeare's story. And I understand that many of them can be explained away, but when we put them all together, it feels suspicious. Like, the 20 or so different ways that his name was spelled, and how he even spelled it two different ways in his will. And speaking of his will, aside from being shady AF to his own wife, the will made no mention of any of his plays or his manuscripts, and it reads in flat, boring language that sounds as if it were the will of just any ordinary man of the time, and not the greatest English writer in history. And then there is his lack of experience and education that has left historians kind of clueless as to how a man with no proof of a formal education was able to perfectly capture the mannerisms and lives of the upper classes, and then also reference great works of the past. But by far, the biggest mystery, for me at least, is where are all of his works? I would be content with accepting that no handwritten work by him survived the time, if he was just some aspiring poet or playwright who had never been published. But this was William Shakespeare. He was famous. He was it. Not even a scribble has ever been found in his own handwriting linking him to his plays. Most of the proposed candidates that anti-Stratfordians have put forth as the true playwright really fit the bill and seem to just be more educated and more traveled and a lot more familiar with noble life than the man from Stratford. I kind of favor two of them. Amelia Bassano, his alleged mistress, who was also a published poet, and Edward de Vere, who was fluent in five languages, very well educated, and just so happened to stop publishing poems under his name at the same time that Shakespeare started getting published. I don't know exactly where I stand. I don't want to be classist. I do truly believe that somebody from a normal upbringing can change literally the history of the world. But I'm just saying, if I were on a jury, and I have been on a jury, I would not recommend. I would be in the camp of those with reasonable doubts, who just needed more proof. And we just haven't gotten it yet. And maybe we never will. So, Crack Pops, what camp are you in? Are you in Camp A, where the actor and playwright William Shakespeare, with his modest beginnings in Stratford-upon-Avon, went on to defy the odds and became one of, if not the most, cherished English writers who ever existed? Or are you in Camp B, 
where somebody else with much to lose hid behind the pseudonym William Shakespeare, left behind the greatest body of literature in existence, and has managed to fool the world this entire time in what some might consider to be the greatest disappearing act of all time. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Crackpop. For pictures, videos, and source material for this episode, you can visit our website, crackpopnetwork.com. Also, stay tuned for the merch giveaway coming to Instagram. Our handle is at crackpopnetwork. And I'll also post the link to the merch store in the show notes for this episode. I will return next time with a brand new episode, which features one of the most baffling real-life mysteries that I've ever heard of, which began as a mini-vacation and ended in a tragic and really suspicious death that still haunts many to this day. Could I be more ambiguous? See you soon. I have been trying to add these little, like, ad-libs or little sections at the end of the episodes where I kind of just have fun. Um, And I don't have much to say about this episode, and there's nothing really that comes to mind. You don't want to hear about all of my theater experience. Ah, I guess I never mentioned that um, I first heard about this conspiracy theory in my theater history class. And when I did, I was like just sitting in my seat, just quiet. And like everything I know is a lie. And I really like miss learning about theater. Oh my God. Who am I? Who have I become? Who was I born to be? Anyways, um, instead of me going on and on i want to like play a little bit of the outtakes for you from this episode so you can see how the recording process actually goes if doing the podcast has taught me anything it's that i need speech therapy my tongue placement is like all over the place there are certain words i cannot say so enjoy why then do so many believe to this day that he isn't the real author of all of the plays that have been attributed to him. Of all of the plays that have been attributed to him. I can't say that f***ing word. Of all of the plays that have been attributed to him. (laughs) All of the plays that have been attributed to him. I give up. All of the plays that have been 
attributed to him. Is it just the word? Is that just a word that nobody says? <laughs> I'm gonna change it, I think. All of the plays that have been supposedly written by him. There we go. Pronouncenames.com Bassano 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 Okay. Do we have the correct pronunciation of your name? That ain't my name. <laughs> <laughs>